this morning in the yard and enjoyed the peace and tranquility of the Sabbath. It's just uh, and wonderful to be here uh, at our commanded assembly on God's holy day. Well, let's pick it up where we left off last time. I want to summarize several chapters today <clears throat> to get across the overall point of, of this series of sermons, and that is the end-time work of God and what is expected of those who are partakers in it. We've got about oh, five or six major things that must be done, and we'll get to those as we go on, but starting in chapter 40, we began to see that there is a message of comfort, a message of blessing, and of good things for those who will obey God. And at the same time, the world around us is going to be withering, and even the church itself overall is going to be withering as well, except those who respond to God and come to go through most of the phases of the end-time work. And we came up to chapter 46 last time where God has been showing in chapter 45 and, uh, and so on how He is God and that treasures will come out of the ground. I suspect that will be historical records. It will be temple artifacts. It will be gold and silver. And a lot of things are going to come to show that God is God and He is the only God. So in chapter 46 then, it talks about how other gods of the world and the gods of Babylon will have failed them. All the gods that we have in our country here are not going to work for us because God is the only God. He says in verse 10 of 46, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So then after saying here in 46 that Baal's gods will not work for them, he takes chapter 47 to give us an indictment against Babylon and how she is to sit on the ground and she'll no longer have a throne, daughter of the Chaldeans. You're not going to be called tender and delicate anymore. Uh, this is a parallel scripture with Revelation 18 where it says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her plagues and her sins and her plagues. So uh, it's written in almost the same way. And some of the major points of Revelation 18 are mentioned clear back here in Isaiah. So it's just another point to show that these scriptures we're talking about are here at the end of the age just before Christ totally intervenes and everything going on on this earth. But to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So the destruction of Israel is going to come first. Uh, the Gentiles will cause the demise of this nation and other nations of Israel and Judah. <clears throat> and today, I think it's pretty been pretty well shown that America is the modern day leader of the Babylonian system. And we will fall. And then another leader of Babylon will arise, the beast and false prophet, 
and then they will also fall before Christ. They will not be here but a short while, but to God in Ezekiel 16, he says, you don't look like Israelites to me. You look like Hittites and Amorites, or whatever two he used. And we don't look like Israel and this nation today whatsoever. So we have gone satanic and gone Gentile in everything we have done. So here is this indictment. He said in verse 3, your nakedness will be uncovered, your shame will have been seen, and I will take vengeance against you. Uh, and he says, He is the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. He can do this. So he said, Sit in silence and get into darkness, daughter of Babylon. You'll no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms, uh, or the Queen, as she sets herself up in Revelation 18. He said he was angry with his people. So he's not talking about just the Gentiles. Here he's, he's saying in so many words that this Babylon is Israel. I was angry with my people. Who are his people? The Israelites. And he is putting them in the same breath with Babylon here. I have polluted my inheritance and given them into your hand. You did show them no mercy. Upon the ancient have you very heavily laid your yoke. So he's saying that the Babylonian system has taken over Israel. Uh, we no longer serve God in this country. We serve Babylon. And we've become, in that sense, a leader of Babylon. So he says in verse 8, Hear this, you that have give, given yourself to pleasures that dwell carelessly, that say in your heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. And that is the egotistic, uh, vain approach of this nation today. We think that we are better than anyone else, and nobody can do anything to us because we have this strong military, and we can defeat anybody who comes against us. Well, that's our attitude, but it's not correct. He said, I shall, you said you won't sit as a widow or know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment and one day, the loss of children and widowhood, loss of our male leaders, our widowhood, and loss of children. They shall come upon you uh, in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries and for your great abundance of enchantments. Says the same thing, Pharmaceo in Revelation 18. You trusted in your wickedness. None sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, it has perverted you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and none beside me. So, he says, it's coming on us, therefore shall evil come upon you, you shall not know from whence it rises, and mischief shall fall upon you. You shall not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So there are people right now who are planning the demise of this country, <clears throat> and our population does not understand what is going on. 
Most of the church of God does not understand either. Most still cling to the idea that Germany is the northern army and that they're going to take us over. Well, what does Hosea say? Hosea says that Ephraim feeds on the wind. And we thought we were Manasseh. A lot of people still think we are that are in the church of God. But he says there in Jeremiah 31 that Ephraim has become the firstborn. Well, who's received the double blessings? This nation, not Britain. Besides, we're uh, the younger brother. And the younger brother, no, we're the, which is it? <laughs> Ephraim and Manasseh, but Ephraim would be the primary one. And we have become primary. But what does it say there? That the leader of Ephraim will go to the Assyrian for help, like a silly dove. Does Donald Trump go to Angela Merkel in Germany for help, like a silly dove? He don't even, they don't even like each other. They don't get along at all. And Germany is not a power to deal with in, at this point. They have virtually no military. So who does Trump go to? Well, his buddies in Russia. Uh, the Russians are the ones that apparently bailed him out in his businesses. And he gets along pretty well with Putin, it, is, it appears. So that's where he goes uh, to get aid or help or wisdom or guidance or whatever he goes to the Russians for. Uh, I don't know that there was collusion in the election at all. Uh, they're trying to get use that and other things to try to impeach him, and they don't have anything to impeach him with. But the Scripture is what I go by, that somehow our leadership is going to the Assyrian, which I believe is Russia, or at least the leader of the Assyrian powerful uh, entity that will come against us. It is a coalition of many nations, as we see in Psalm 83 and other places, but it will be led by the Assyrian. <clears throat> and it's going to come on us very suddenly, out of nowhere, so to speak. So he talks about our merchants uh, down in verse 15. And they'll wander everyone to his quarter. None shall save you. So uh, who are the merchants? Well, the leading merchant that depends on us is China. And we're not going to have a trade deal with China. Uh, that's dead in the water. Our uh, promoting strength and help for Hong Kong uh, has irritated the Chinese beyond belief. And they can't back off because they have said that they are going to take over Hong Kong. And if they don't do it, as they've said, then they're going to have rebellion in China itself from all those people who also want freedom. So they're in a position where they can't back off, even though we are spending our political ammo trying to get them to back off. So the Chinese are not happy. And when this nation is destroyed and their merchants are cut off, they'll be even less happy. But they're going to be part of it. They'll be part of destroying us. I have no doubt of that. But their merchants won't like it. <laughs> their politicians will, but their merchants won't. So, let's see, where was I here in uh, 
I'm headed headed into 48. <clears throat> so right here in the context, we have the destruction of our country. And then he has a message in 48 for Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah and so on. But we look to God, but not in truth nor in righteousness, into verse 1. Uh, verse 4, I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your brow brass. You will not listen. I have even from the beginning declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I showed it you. Worldwide Church of God did do a pretty powerful message back in the late 40s and 50s and even into the 60s showing that Ezekiel 5 and some of these prophecies about this nation uh, and how we would go into captivity and be decimated down to 10% and even less. Uh, there was a pretty powerful message that went out. And in those days, it was going out across the country, blanketed it. How many listened? Nobody listened. Didn't care. Weren't interested. It was a voice that meant nothing to them. But it was given. God doesn't do anything except He warns through His servants the prophets. And then God caused that message to go away. Uh, it was heard. It was not followed. It was not listened. It was just cast aside and God took it away, not because of the nation so much, is because we who are supposed to be the ones who are setting the example for the nation weren't what we should be either. So that became a problem, and he had to deal with it. Now, we're reading about a new work on the heels of worldwide that is gone, it is dead, and a new work is going to arise that is going to be spiritually much, much stronger than we were in worldwide and will be given far more power than we were given in worldwide. <coughs> so, he said he would show new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They're created now and not from the beginning even before the day when you heard them not, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. Now, if it's a warning to the church or to the world, God is going to do things in such a way that they can't say, I knew them. The things we are reading here from Isaiah 40 and forward up to here and even beyond, they can't say they knew. They haven't been preaching them. They haven't understood them. Now, he's talking to a few men of Jacob. We read two or three chapters back. And he said, For my name's sake, verse 9, I will defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain for you, that I cut you not off. So, the physical Israel is going to be punished greatly. The church has already been punished greatly. So, it came first to the church, now it will come to the nation the blessing is about to return to the church, and the destruction of the nation is just ahead. But he's not going to cut even Israel completely off. Uh, he'll save about 10% of them, just as he's saving about 10% of the church uh, as we speak. Well, the gathering will be very soon now. 
Verse 10, I have refined you, but not for silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. So he's choosing 10% in the furnace of affliction, of frustration, of confusion, of repentance, hopefully. For my own sake, even for my sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory to another? So he is going to have his tithe of his people, and he will use them for the benefit of the whole world. Just 10% of what was the church. Hearken to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. So he's only talking here, uh, first of all, for those whom he has called. And this is in the time of the destruction of Babylon again. It's the end time. He is going to call the rest of Jacob. When? Once the Father and the Son come and set up the kingdom of God on the earth, then he will call the rest of Jacob. But he's talking here, first of all, to the church, my called. Verse 14, all you assemble yourselves in here. Which among them has declared these things? The Eternal has loved him. The Eternal, uh, he will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. The message is there. Now the church, 90% of the church, God puts in the category of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians because they are not worshiping him in the way that he wants to be worshipped. If you're going to worship somebody, you better do it according to the rules. <laughs> and we were not, is the reason we got scattered. Verse 18, O you that did hearken to my commandments, then had your peace been as a river, or, or had you hearkened to my commandments, your peace would have been as a river, and your righteousness as the ways of the sea. And then he gives direction. He says, leave the Babylon, go forth of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare you, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Now when does he say this is going to happen? Jeremiah 50 makes it quite clear. <coughs> where he says that they will flee asking the way to Zion just ahead of uh, the Assyrian who is coming to destroy us. So there's a period of time in there for a short while that they'll be able to get ahead of the Assyrian army and flee to Zion. They'll be asking, how do I get to Zion? And we get the same warning in Zephaniah 2, where he's, he gives the decree of financial destruction in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2 he says uh, to gather ourselves and if we're obedient, maybe God will have mercy upon us. So, Micah 4, he says, flee to Zion, and there you will be delivered. So, it's just ahead of the destruction of this country. And if I'm reading the news right, the destruction of this country is not very far away. We're imploding from the inside, starting in Washington, D.C. Uh, the, the preparation is going very rapidly. The state of Virginia just now had 62 counties declare themselves uh, Second Amendment, um, um, I can't find the word, Second Amendment refuges. 
In other words, they will maintain the Second Amendment, which means that you can hold and bear arms and fight off a tyrannical government. So Virginia, from the governor and on down, is trying to get them to be leftists and take all their guns away. But 62 counties, the sheriffs have proclaimed, we will not give up our guns. Now that's leading to a conflict, <laughs> is what that's leading to. Uh, so civil war is coming. Now, I've been telling you this for a long time, because that's what Jeremiah says. He says there will be rumors and, of war, and then in another year, rumors and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. Well, where is this starting? Washington, D.C., ruler against ruler is going on. And they're making death threats now. So it's escalated a great deal in the last three years. And it's coming. So he says, get out of Babylon because he's going to destroy it. And he will redeem you. Then in chapter 49, listen, coasts, hearken you people from afar. Uh, God has called me from the womb. This is Isaiah speaking. From the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, whom I will, in whom I will be glorified. Now, who is he going to use to glorify himself? His church. They're the ones who will be his witness. Didn't we read that three times back in chapter 41 or 2? How Three times how the church is his witness that he is God. They're the ones he will be glorified in. Uh, verse 5, Now says the Eternal that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Uh, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall be glorious in the eyes of the Eternal. My God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give you for a a light to the Gentiles. So, God is going to use the church as a light to Israel, but he says there in Haggai 2, the Zerubbabel will be the signet or the light or the banner or the flag to the whole world, including the Gentiles, not just Israel. Israel first, then the Gentile. Same in, in Revelation 11, leave out the court of the Gentiles, measure the altar, the ministry, and then the worship there. So the same story here as it is throughout the rest of the Bible. Verse 8, Thus says the Eternal, In an acceptable time have I heard you, and in a day of salvation have I helped you, and I will preserve you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. What's he going to do with the church? They will comprise the 144,000, which he will use to establish the earth. And he is working with them now in this day of salvation. We've seen that in the New Testament, and it's been applied to the church today. This is a day of salvation for those who are being called now. The others will be brought to salvation in the millennium or the great white throne judgment. But today is a day of salvation for 
a total of 144,000 people who will be used as the bride of Christ to establish the earth very shortly now. Uh, verse 14 is interesting. But Zion said, The Eternal has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. This has gone on long enough that we begin to get impatient, we begin to get frustrated, we begin to be a little confused and wonder, is this really so? Well, this is now 23 years that it's been preached, and Jeremiah said he preached it for 23 years, <laughs> and then the captivity of Judah occurred. So maybe he's given us 23 years, and shortly after that, this thing is coming down. That's what he said about the 430 years of, or days of Ezekiel, the 430 years, a day is as a year, that shortly after that 430 was finished, it has come, it has come, it is here, it is near, it won't be the echoing again, but soon. And the same with the 70 years, which I think also expired at that same time. And the 65 years of Isaiah 7 is on the, on the time of expiration as well. If you look up the Hebrew there, it says in about 65 years. It doesn't say in just under or at, but about or close to 65 years. So God gives what? He gives these prophecies, and they come to pass. And we've had 432 years now since Roanoke. But he gives a period of repentance, a space for repentance, he says these things signal this destruction, and it is near. I guarantee you it's near, but he gives a little time for all these prophecies to all have come to pass and for us to have an opportunity to do something about what we are and who we are. And then it comes. So it is not far off. And you might tie in... Uh, that in the third year shall uh, God revive his work. So this is the third year since the 70, I think, ended and the 430 ended. It might be before this coming year of God is done, the third one, that this actually comes to pass. I don't know that for sure, but that's the best way I can put the Scriptures together at the moment. But anyway, he says, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to say, well, God's been saying these things and it hasn't happened. So what's his answer to that? Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet will I not forget you. A mother's going to forget to feed her baby before I forget you, he says. And that's not too likely to happen. Behold, I've graven you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall go forth from you. I think that's on a local level right here. It's on a church level of the 10%. And it's on the level of when the millennium begins as well. The enemies are going to go away. Christ will do away with them, and every knee will bow. So he gives us some encouragement here, verse 18. 
Lift up your eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to you. So here he's talking about the message of Haggai. He will stir the people up to come and to build the temple. That's one of the things that has to be done here by the end time latter temple. They'll gather them and come to you. As I live, or that is by my life, says the Eternal, you shall surely clothe you with them and as with an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. So he says, I'm sending you these people. You're to be part of the bride and I'm sending them to you to also be part of the bride and to get my work done. So he says, put them on, wear them, use them. For your waste and your desolate places and the land of your destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed you up shall be far away. It'll be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. He uh, says a little more about that later, but the amount of space that God has given us when these people come is going to be not quite big enough and be too narrow. There's too many people to comfortably live together under the circumstances. You know, God could have given us 20,000 acres, real simply. He really could have. But He gave us 110. And when these thousands of people come, it's going to be pretty tight. But this was written 1,500, nearly 2,000 years ago. I mean, nearly, no, more than that. 3,000, uh, nearly 3,500 years ago. So, we've been destroyed. And the place that we've come to is too small. And we've even been somewhat destroyed since we got here, have we not? But it says, those that swallowed you up, or those that were enemies against you, the scorpions we dwell with from Ezekiel, shall be far away. Another indication they're going to be cast out and go away. And the children which you shall have, after you have lost the other, shall say again in your ears, the place is too narrow for me, give place to me that I may dwell. So he says that after we got here, we would lose some, and then the ones that came to replace them would be so many, there wouldn't be room for them. Then shall you say in your heart, who has begotten me these? Where did these come from? You know, we've been out here now for, since, well, really, since 2000 at the first feast in Zion, and uh, been telling this story over and over, and instead of getting larger, we've gotten smaller. It's right here. It's what it says. And then you're going to say, where did all these come from? We've been preaching, we've been teaching, nothing's happened, and suddenly, here they are. <coughs> this is going to be a great big wow. It says, who has begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. Well, they've been trying to get rid of us. They've been trying to put me in jail for quite some time now. And they're trying to get rid of you too. And own the property, 
all to themselves and do what they want with it. And who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where were they when we needed them? Well, they weren't here, but they're coming. And when they get here, it's going to be a shock and a surprise, really. Thus says the eternal God, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. So he says in other places, he's going to bring them from north, south, east, and west. Isaiah 44, for one, where he says he will do that. So it's going to include people from the Gentile nations who have been converted, as well as Israelites. I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles, verse 22, and set up my st standard to the people, and they'll bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. So they're going to be people to help. You go back to Isaiah 45, and it says that there are people who will come to help. Uh, let's see, I'll go back. Verse 14 of 45. Thus says the Eternal, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you, and they shall be yours. They shall come after you. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down to you, and shall make supplication to you, saying, Surely God is in you. So they're going to voluntarily come to work and serve, which is kind of the position of a slave. They'll come with that in mind. Here we are. Put us to work as you see fit. In verse 25, I will save your children, and I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, the Eternal, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. What did we see in Isaiah 45? He says all these treasures that are going to come forth will be used to show mankind around the world, from the east to the west, and west to east, that he is God. And all flesh is going to know who God is. They shall know that I am the eternal, as Ezekiel keeps saying. So God is going to use his end time work for what? To show the world who God is. And they will have the option of repenting and following God, or they will be destroyed. And the prophecies all indicate they will not repent, and they will be destroyed. <coughs> Chapter 50. Thus says the Eternal, Where is the bill of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? It says, whom, uh, let's see, of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. So he's comparing the divorce that Christ laid on ancient Israel with today. Now, God had not cast away his people, Israel, entirely. He did say he was divorcing or uh, disfellowshipping the Jews. Maybe not a divorce as such, but a disfellowshipment. And here, Israel was our mother, and he says, I put your mother away. So, we don't have Mother Israel. We have our mother, the church. 
Galatians tells us that uh, our mother is the church. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it can't redeem? Our sins have cut us off. And he's saying, now, when I come to do something, is there going to be anybody there that I can use? And he talks about the condition we've been in spiritually here uh, over these years. Then he says, I clothe, verse 3, the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. So this church has been in destruction and mourning all this time, just as the nation is about to do it. Then Isaiah says, The eternal God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The eternal God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Well, what have we been reading here from Isaiah 40 forward? That God is promising us that He will forgive our sins, that He will bless us, that He will use us as a witness against the rest of the world that He is God. So Isaiah says, this is the message that is here. What are we doing today? We're sitting here reading this message that no one seems to understand. God has given us the ears to hear what Isaiah has to say. And then it goes into a description of what Christ went through. So, we are going through some of the things with persecution and so on that Christ went through. Not to any extent like he did, but uh, Isaiah went through it, didn't he? Wasn't he harassed and ridiculed and made a fool of by those around him? And didn't God cause some of that to happen by saying, Isaiah, I want you to run around naked? with your butt hanging out. Oh, okay. What does he say here? I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I didn't say, wait a minute, God, this is too much. I can't run around naked. But God told him to, and he did it. So whatever God puts us through, it's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. He said things would be rough, that would dwell among scorpions. So he said, Isaiah said, I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed, because God is near that justifies me. So who can really contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. <coughs> He's been telling us all through this context that he will take care of us and not to worry about it. So whatever they try to do to Isaiah, because some of the things that God caused him to do, uh, he said, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to do what God says. What if we all had a dream some night here, and God told each and every one of us, he wants us to run around naked, go shopping in St. George naked, 
You're going to be rebellious or you're going to do what God tells you to do? I don't think that's probably going to happen. But what if it did? Isaiah said, Yes, Lord, I won't be rebellious. So he dropped his gear and marched around naked. And he was ridiculed. So what? So he uses Christ here as the example. Wasn't, weren't his clothes taken away? And wasn't he ridiculed? And so on. Same way Isaiah was. So Isaiah, in that sense, was a type of Christ. And we are the ones who now face uh, the ridicule of the world and will. It'll get worse and worse and worse. And we will be hated by all nations and all peoples. They will join the beast and the false prophet, and we will be hated universally. So what came on Isaiah and what came on Christ is coming on us. The two witnesses receive the brunt of that right at the end when they are both killed. And uh, that's the end of the story then. Chapter 51. Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness. Now that would be who? The Muslims? The Methodists? The Catholics? No, that's the church of God. That's the Israel of God, as Galatians calls it. You that follow after righteousness. You're the ones I want to hear this. That's got to be the church of God. I may redo that series on uh, how exclusive is the church, which was preached back in the 90s. Most of you haven't heard it, and those that did, it was given on different locations around the country and was scratchy, and I was trying to cover way too much material in too short a time, speaking once a month. (coughs) But there's a lot of good information in there. Uh, Who? follows after righteousness. Just the church. I'll tell you that. You that seek the eternal, look to the rock whence you were hewn and the hole of the pit from whence you were digged. To Abraham your father, to Sarah that bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him uh, and increased him. Abraham was the only one he called in his day. And he is only going to call one work here at the end. A latter temple. Not a bunch of congregations. Not a bunch of people trying to do different things. The church has been scattered and only one-tenth will be gathered. And that is whom he will use. So he says, you that are truly seeking righteousness, look to Abraham. What does he say? (coughs) In Malachi. That we need to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Which fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're our spiritual fathers. And here he points out specifically Abraham and Sarah. If you want to seek righteousness, look back to Abraham. See what he did. So if we will do that then, he follows that by saying, in verse 3, For the Eternal shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the eternal. He's going to restore that. 
Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. The world is going to be going through famine and pestilence and disease, and God's people are going to be eating the good things of God, just as in the Garden of Eden. Read Isaiah 35 about how the desert will bloom as a rose and so on. It's talking about right here at the end time when Babylon is being destroyed and people hasten to Zion just ahead of it. There they will be blessed and be made a light to the world. Well, he says it down here, verse 4. Hearken to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, or my people, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. He's going to judge and stir who will come and who he will make a light to the people. My righteousness is near. Not here, but it's near. My salvation has gone forth, and my arm shall judge the people. Didn't he say he would gather this in his arms there in chapter 40? And love us and hold us. That's the judgment he's going to make on those who will be righteous. Verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment. So he's going to be taking care of those in Zion, holding them in his arms, and the world around them is going to be destroyed. This is premillennial. Verse 7. Hearken to me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear you not the reproach of men, neither be you afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. So this is still prophetic, right? This is people he's giving comfort to ahead of the time when their enemies are all going to be destroyed. Verse 9. The first, there's three awakes in this chapter, but the first one is to God. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the eternal. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. What did he do in the past? He brought them out of Mitzrayim. He delivered them. He took them into the promised land with Joshua. Do things like you used to do them, it says, in the generations of old. Are you not it that has cut Rahab and wounded the, the dragon? Are you not it which has dried the sea, the waters of the deep, and so on, that your people might pass over? So he says, do these works. Therefore, the redeemed of the eternal shall return and come with singing to Zion. So, it says, awake, O eternal, and do the things of old. And then it's going to say what he does here in the end time. It's different from what he did at the Red Sea. It's different than what he did with the, uh, the Jordan when they crossed over. Here he tells how it's going to be different and what he's going to do. It'll be dramatic, it'll be powerful, but here's what he will do. Therefore the redeemed of the eternal shall return and come with singing to Zion. I, even I, am he that comforts you. Who are you that should be afraid of a man that shall die 
and of the Son of Man, which shall be made as grass. Now he says at the beginning here of this new work, in Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort you, comfort you, my people. That's the message that he says to give. Here, he says, I am the one who comforts you. So, a man saying, comfort you, comfort you, my people, is a message from God to the people, but God is the one who actually does the comforting. Man can't turn Zion into the Garden of Eden. Man can't turn the desert into a rose garden. But God can. So, he sends a message of comfort, but he's the one who has to come and do the comforting. Singing in Zion, Why be afraid of man that shall die? Serve God and live. Don't forget your Maker, and so on. I am the eternal, verse 15, your God that divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. So it's reminding what he did before and saying, you don't have to worry. If I did that, I can take care of you too. I put my words in your mouth and I have covered you in the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. Won't it be nice when we do, no, do, no, do not any longer need to say, I'm a Laodicean, God has spit me out, I wonder if he's accepting me. I wonder if I'm doing enough that God will show mercy and patience and uh, give me grace. Don't we all wonder that to some degree now? Why me, Lord? Why us? Uh, are you really going to do this? No, he says, when I do this, you don't have to worry about it anymore. I have accepted you. You are my people. When he brings them to Zion, they will have been accepted. His face will no longer be turned away, but it will be turned to us in blessing. And in favor, with a smile on his face and a light in his eyes, you are my people. Won't that be a comforting thought when Christ comes and dwells with us and says, you are my people? <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank you. Then the next call to awake up. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. So it calls on God first here in the first awake. Now he calls on Jerusalem, the church, which has drunk at the hand of the Eternal the cup of his fury. Wasn't he angry? Didn't he spew us out? Yes, that's the Jerusalem he's talking about. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. We've been wrung out. We're tired. There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the sons she's brought forth. Now, we read that a little earlier back here about there's no one that understands. Uh, he says, there's none that hears your words, chapter 41. 
The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that brings good tidings. And there was no man, no counselor, not anybody else. And that's what he's repeating here. <clears throat> There's nobody in the church to guide the church. All these groups are out there trying, but they haven't been given the message. So he says, these two things are come on you. Who shall be sorry for you? <clears throat> Desolation, destruction, famine, and the sword. Ninety percent are going into the tribulation, which is described right there. By whom shall I comfort you? Well, that's going to happen to you. How can I comfort you? Now, he's going to say to those who have been obedient and have repented of Laodiceanism, when they get to Zion, you are my people. I will gather you in my arms and hold you like a lamb. But to the rest, how are you going to give them a message of comfort? You can't. There's not any. They're going into the tribulation. <clears throat> Your sons have fainted. They lie in the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the eternal, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear now this, you afflicted and drunken, but not with wine, spiritually drunk. Thus says he eternally, uh, the Lord and your God that pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I've taken you out of the hand of the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury, you shall no more drink it again. So 10% are going to be separated out, and the fury is going to stop. The rest will go into famine and trouble and desolation. But I will put it into the hand of them that do afflict you, which have said to your soul, Bow down, that we may go over, and you have laid your body on the ground, and as as the street to them that went over. They've tried to walk on us here. And when the remnant get here, some in the world are going to come and try to walk on them. It says even the Assyrian will oppress you just a little bit and try to enslave you, but he'll be run off by seven, even eight principal men there in Micah 5. So then we have one more awake here. I'm going to get through chapter 54 by quitting time because that's where I want to change directions. Chapter 52, a lot of insight here. Awake, awake, <clears throat> put on your strength, O Zion. So first we have a call for God to wake up and do the things He's done in the past for us. Then He says, wake up church or Jerusalem, because most are going into trouble, but if you will wake up, I will take care of you and bless you, and you'll no more have trouble. So, then he says, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come to you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So, once we make this final repentance here of waking up, then he says, put on strength, put on white garments, put on righteousness, and you're never going to have the uncircumcised and the unclean come over you again. It's over. Isn't that what it said in Isaiah 40? Comfort you, comfort you. Uh, let me read it to you again. 
Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received the Eternal's hand, double blessing for all the sins that she committed, that she had a double uh, curse over. So that's the very beginning of the message. What's this back here? He's giving the details of what he made in a statement back there in chapter 40. No more. The uncircumcised and unclean. They're not going to come against you anymore. Shake yourself from the dust. Sit up. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So we're the 10% daughter of Zion's out there, still in the clutches and captivity of the world. But God says, flee from Babylon. Come to Zion. There you will be taken care of. For thus says the Eternal, you've sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Can't buy your way in like Simon Magus tried there in Acts 8. You'll be redeemed by the mercy of God. By the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness of sin. For thus says the eternal God, My people went down aforetime into Mitzrayim to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So, amongst the uh, slave owners, which were basically Ham, there were also Assyrians there. And they oppressed them without cause, just like they've oppressed the church and this little group without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Eternal, that my people is taken away for nothing? They that rule over them make them to howl, says the Eternal, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. He's going to bring forth his treasures, and the world, east to west, will know that he is God. He is going to do miracles, signs and wonders, Zechariah 3. The stone will be laid before Joshua, it says. Who's the stone? Christ is the stone. He's the foundation rock. He will be laid there for all the eyes of all seven churches to see. And God will do signs and wonders that cause these people to come. They're going to see where God is, what God is doing. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. So God has ordained that someone bring forth these good tidings of peace and well-being and blessing. <clears throat> Just him, not them. Notice that. That says to Zion, your God reigns. That there is only one God, and he is reigning and shall reign. Thy watchmen, now it's plural, okay? Not just one, but two. Says back there that one will come and speak of them. So here it's him bringing this message, and then them. 
The watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall bring again Zion. Now, I've read that scripture to you. If I've done it once, I've done it probably 50 times. And yet people still don't seem to get it. They say, well, when's, when are we going to get help? Well, maybe it'll be now. Maybe it'll be now. They see some things happen. No, it's not going to happen till God does signs and wonders and someone sees God's hand. And when he sees those things is when he's going to come. We already read that he's blind and deaf, although righteous, but blind and deaf to these things. Does not grasp them. Doesn't get this message that's right here. So, when God turns it around, when He brings again Zion, when He returns the blessings, the healings, the signs and wonders, <coughs> then is when they will see eye to eye, and not until. Verse 9, Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of the church. For the Eternal has comforted His people, He has redeemed Jerusalem. So when He turns it around and begins to show His blessings, He's going to show His treasures, He's going to do signs and wonders among the people, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the blind will see. He's promised those things. That's when we break forth into joy. We sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Eternal has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Eternal has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. Didn't He say that's what He would do when He brings forth His treasures from the ground, the silver, the gold, the, all the things that He has hidden there that will prove He is God? Yes. He'll make bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. This thing will not be done in a corner. It's going to be done in such a way that it is so dramatic that the world cannot deny that something is going on. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God just in that 10% remnant who come to Zion. And he turns it around and blesses them. So then a warning here. Depart you, depart you, go you out from thence. Touch no unclean thing, go you out of the midst of her. That's Babylon. Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. Now he said if we'd be righteous here and wake up and put on the garments of righteousness, that no more would the unclean come to us. But then he tells us, get away from the unclean, and that we ourselves had better be clean if we're going to bear the vessels of the eternal. Those riches and treasures that are hidden underground of Isaiah 45 include the vessels of the temple, the vessels of the eternal. Just to uncover a bunch of silver and gold is not going to convince anybody who God is, right? Russians got a whole lot of gold. Chinese got lots of gold. Does that convince anybody who God is? Not them or anybody else. So this is the vessels of the eternal 
Now, maybe some of them are made of gold. But the history, maybe even the original books of the Bible, the original Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant may be there. Then you can't deny that this is of God. So be clean, you that bear God's vessels. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Eternal will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, we do have a hasty flight described in Matthew 24. And that's when the abomination of desolation set up in the holy place, which has been restored in the temple and in Jerusalem. Then you don't go back into the house. You flee with all haste, lest you be killed. This is talking about a different type of flight. It says it's not a hasty thing. It says they'll flee ahead of the northern army there in Jeremiah 50. Gather yourselves in Zephaniah 2 before this decree of destruction hits. Get out just ahead of it. So it's not a real hasty thing. It's a gathering. It's a stirring and a coming to do what God has shown. Therefore, what that tells you is that these signs and wonders that are going to occur are going to come before the total collapse and the invasion of the nation. Otherwise, people won't be saying, how do I get to Zion? Just before this hits is when God is going to show His signs and wonders. And then from all over the world, they're going to say, that's where I need to be. And God will stir them to come. And they will have a certain amount of time to get here. Just ahead of. How do I get to Zion? The army's coming. They'll see it on the horizon, so to speak. They'll realize. But they got to know where to go. And therefore, God has to show ahead of time, doesn't He? Isn't that logical? They don't know that this is the true Zion. They have no idea. If they know about Zion at all, they still think it's in the Middle East. But they flee to that Jerusalem. No. They've got to come to this Zion, just over the hill here. And they've got to know where to go. So they'll say, where is it? Now you ask anybody on the street, where's Zion? Oh, it's over in the Middle East in Jerusalem. Nobody has to tell them how to get to Zion if that's it. You just hop a plane and go to Tel Aviv and take a short trip to Jerusalem, and you're at Zion. But it says there in Jeremiah 50, these are asking the way. Where is this Zion? How do I get there? So God will have shown by sign and wonder where it is and where Christ is working. He's the stone that's laid before the eyes of the seven churches in Zechariah 3. It's not... It's not a work of men. It's a work of God. <clears throat> says, I'll take care of you. Don't go in haste. says, My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now, we have an inset chapter here about Christ himself and all that he went through. And all of that he went through at Passover time. 
Now, I feel that probably those signs and wonders are going to come when? In the first month. Uh, that's what I mean. Uh, Joel tells us. They'll come in the time of the former and latter rains in the first month. It says the first and latter, uh, the former and latter rains in Zechariah. And it talks about the first month in Joel too. So is the setting here when God is going to turn his blessings onto Zion and when they will begin to stir, to be stirred to come just at the time of the first month? Is that this coming year or a year after? We shall see. But it'll be just ahead of the collapse and destruction and invasion. Just ahead of that. I'm watching the signs, the leaves on the tree, to see how close that is. And it appears to be getting quite close. Civil war, the whole bit. So he describes the Passover here. That's in the first month. He's talking about blessing and that the leadership will come together when God does the signs and wonders, when he begins to bless. <coughs> then it talks about the Passover. And immediately after chapter 53, he tells to start singing, O barren, you that did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you that did not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the eternal. Well, that takes you right back to that awake, awake, where he says he's going to bring our children and replace them and give us more than we had. And we'll say, wow, where did all these come from? Now, chapter 54, right after the chapter on the Passover, he says, start, start rejoicing because your kids are coming. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Spare not, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. In other words, there's a lot of people coming, and it's, we already read it's going to be too narrow for the inhabitants, and they're going to say it's, it's too small for us. We need more space. So what does it tell us here? Enlarge the place of your tent. <clears throat> For you shall break forth on the right and on the left, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. Don't be confounded. You're not going to have any more shame. You'll forget the shame of your youth. We'll forget all this confusion and frustration of Laodicean that, we, Laodiceanism that we've been through. <clears throat> For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So this is talking to the end-time remnant who will be part of the 144,000, because they're the bride of Christ, your husband. So it's got to be talking to the church here. For as the Lord has called you as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth, when you were refused, says your God. When were we refused? We were in the church of God, most of us for decades, and then we were refused. He says, it's like I ate something and it turned my stomach and I threw you up. I refused you. Isn't that what happens you refuse certain food, and that's when you run to the toilet to throw up. 
So Christ received us, and then we turned his stomach, and he threw us up. That's what this is talking about. And we've been forsaken ever since, haven't we? He's turned his face from us, can't stand to look at us. For a small moment have I forsaken you. Well, over 30 years now. But with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. Seems like a longer time than a moment to you and me, but to him it's just been a very short period of time. And in looking at 6,000 years, it kind of has been a short period of time, a little over 30. <clears throat> but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Eternal, your Redeemer. And then he tells us how important this is to him. He said before, if a woman forgets her nursing baby, then I'll forget you. Here he gives us another uh, story about what this means to him. For this is as the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall be departed, or shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Eternal that has mercy on you. So we're still before the nations are destroyed and the mountains depart and the hills be removed. And he shakes the whole earth. This is before that. And he says, I am going to turn and smile on you and bless you and you're never going to have troubles again. Then he addresses us, O you afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. Now there's been a recurring theme here of comfort all the way through. This whole end time work begins with comfort you, comfort you, my people. Your warfare is accomplished. Your iniquity is forgiven. Now I'm going to bless you. That's the message to those who are faithful in the church. So far, not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with fair colors and lay your foundations with sapphires. That kind of describes the New Jerusalem eventually to come down. I will make your windows of agates and the gates of carbuncles and all your borders of pleasant stones. The bride of Christ will live in the New Jerusalem and be the New Jerusalem. But this is prior to that. He's going to begin to bless and bring his remnant to do the rest of the work of the end-time church. All your children shall be taught of the eternal, and great shall be the peace of your children. So we're going to be taught truth by the witnesses, and we will have peace. He's going to run the rebels out, and there will be peace. In righteousness shall you be established. Awake, awake, put on righteousness, he said. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. So this is premillennial. There's still going to be terror and trouble all around us, but it won't come near you. Read Psalm 91. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. 
Whosoever shall gather together against you shall fall for your sake. So he says you're still going to have enemies that try to do something, and I'm not going to let it happen. The, the enemies will still be there. The millennium's not here yet. They'll fall. says he'll run the Assyrian off there in Micah 5. Behold, I have created the smith that blows the coals in the fire and that brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. So those who would waste us is created to destruction. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. They're going to try to overrun Zion and kill us. They're going to try to overrun the two witnesses and kill them. And they won't be able to, at least for three and a half years, and then they will. But speaking of the congregation as a whole, they're not going to have this kind of trouble. Just the final two witnesses will be killed. So no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Eternal, and their righteousness is of me, says the Eternal. It will be God's righteousness, no longer vanity, ego, and self-righteousness, but God's righteousness, and all will be peaceful. Then he says, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. If you don't have money, no problem. You'll be taken care of. So, We'll, we'll stop there with that thought and not go on from there because I want to move on to some other things specifically having to do with uh, other elements of the end time work. But you have to realize from where we started in chapter 40 to here that God has laid it all out for us. And He's shown us that we will know who He is and that we are to prepare a place in the desert for Him to begin to truly do the greater works. So here we are, and we need to get it ready as fast as we possibly can, because I think this thing is coming very, very close upon us. If you're watching the times, the financial collapse is just teetering. Our enemies are gathering against us and dumping the dollar and getting ready to invade us and destroy us. So this does not appear to be very far away at this point. Let's be aware, let's be awake, and let's put on righteousness and be some of those that God can use to do some great and dramatic works which are to occur very shortly now.